let's get started. We, um, I, I don't know how many of you could relate to this, but have you ever been in a situation or a circumstance that you wouldn't choose to be in, but you find yourself in it anyways? You ever been in kind of like, a, man, like I, I, I know that maybe I chose to be here, but if I had to choose again, I wouldn't be where I'm at. Or maybe I, you didn't choose to be where you're at, but you find yourself there anyway, and you're like, I, I wish that I could wish my way out of this. Um, this is not an ideal circumstance, and I'm, I'm, really, I'm really not okay with it. Maybe for some of you, it was a job change. <laughs> you know, you're like, uh, this, the, the grass looked greener when I was on the other side, but it's not, you know, or there's just more manure to make it greener. Um, and maybe for some of you, it's a friendship that has just fractured or splintered, and you're like, I never, I never imagined that our friendship would be in the condition that it's at. Or maybe it's a broken marriage where you're like, well, we never planned for this, for us to end up in the place that we're, we're at. Maybe for some of you, it's a recent breakup. You know, you thought that they were the one, the one, and they're not. And so you're back at square one. You're back at ground zero trying to figure out, okay, like, where do I go from here? Where do I build from here? For some of you, it's a financial situation or a health a diagnosis that you find yourself in. You're like, man, this was not part of the plan. I didn't expect me to be in the place that I'm at right now at this age or in this phase of life. This wasn't part of what was supposed to happen. We all know what it's like to struggle and to be in situations that we didn't necessarily plan for and would like to not necessarily be in. And if you're like me, which probably you are, when I'm in a struggle, it's very difficult for me to see God working in my struggle. Like, I can see God working in your struggle really easily. And you probably can see God working in other people's struggle. I, you know, as a pastor, I get people coming into my office and they got, you know, tough circumstances and issues. And I, it's easy. I can just see God working in the midst of it. And they, they can't necessarily see it. But when I'm in a tough place, all I see is the struggle. I can't see the forest for the trees. And I just want God to fix it. You ever been in a situation? God, if you could just fix them. Just fix them. I don't understand what the problem is. They're, they need to be fixed. This situation needs to be fixed. And I find that my prayer life can consist of like me praying, God, uh, would you just like teleport me to a different place? Would you fix this person? Would you time travel me to a time uh, beyond where I'm at and outside of this difficult circumstance? And, and so I find myself trying to pray away my struggle. And our scripture this morning, really, it challenges us in this area of life. The area that many of us find ourselves in. If you've got your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. And uh, the Apostle Paul writes this letter. I want you to understand, though, he writes it while he's in prison. He writes it while he's in chains. And he writes a letter to this city in Greece, the city of Philippi, and he's talking about his outlook in a less than ideal situation. So you can, you can understand what that looks like for him. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, and if you would stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word, that would be awesome. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 12 and read down through verse 26. I want you to just get a hold and put yourself in his situation as he writes this. I just want you to understand, he's way too happy about his circumstance in the midst of what's going on. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me, he's in prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. 
As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives are true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of, of Jesus Christ, which is what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the reading of your word. God, I thank you for a man like Paul who can write a letter like this in the middle of a circumstance that nobody would choose for themselves. God, I thank you that he had his hope in something different than his circumstances. He had his hope in you. May we learn something today about what it looks like and how to have joy in the midst of a circumstances that we wouldn't choose for ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, you can be seated. So <clears throat> I know if it's, it's 4th of July, so the office was closed on Thursday. We don't have the, the notes in, the, uh, in your bulletin. You look on the back, it just has the title and then blank page. So if you're a note taker, we have some notes up here on the screen. You can write stuff down. Um, the, the whole point of what we're going to talk about, four points, is this, that what can we learn from the Apostle Paul about having joy in our struggle? What can we learn from the Apostle Paul about having joy in the midst of a struggle? Because I don't know about you, but as I, as I look at this, as I read this, as I read the, the, the book of Philippians myself, I don't find that the Apostle Paul mentions the things that I would mention if I were in prison. If I were in prison, I'd be talking about the food in prison. I'd be saying, yeah, it's really bad, it's not good, it's not enough, all these things. I would be talking about how I was unjustly imprisoned or how long my sentence is going to be. The Apostle Paul doesn't mention any of this. In fact, he was more focused on what was happening through him than what was happening to him. This was his heartbeat. He was focused on, this is what God is up to even in the midst of my struggle. Verse 12, this is where we see it. He says this, now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually, has actually served to advance the gospel. Like, he's excited about this. Like, guys, I want you to understand, like, there's good news here. 
my bad news is good news for the advancing of the good news. This is what he's communicating to the, to the church in Philippi. And I, and I want you to understand this. Paul isn't ignoring or putting his head in the sand, acting like he's not in prison. He's very aware that he's in prison. But his situation certainly isn't what defines him. It's not what defines him. He has identity and, and he has a calling that rises above his circumstance that he's in. His calling is still the same in spite of his imprisonment. There's something that we can learn from this guy. He has tapped into something that I think very few people have. There are some of you in here, maybe you feel like you're in prison, like not literally, but figuratively, like you're in this relationship, you're in this job, you're in this place, this situation, this circumstance that like, I, I wish I could get out of this. I can't move forward. I can't move backward. I look to my left and I'm stuck and to my right, I'm stuck and I don't know how to get out of here. I've got this situation that is suffocating me or the chains of my choices have turned into habits, and now it's my identity, and I don't know how to get out of that which I'm in right now. But I want you to see how Paul looks at his life-altering circumstances. He looks at it very differently. Essentially, what he's saying is this. My imprisonment does not determine my level of freedom. I don't think you heard me. He's saying, my imprisonment does not determine my level of freedom. It doesn't even make sense. Like, yeah, it kind of does, doesn't it, Paul? Like, you're in prison. kind of does determine your level of freedom. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I may have chains on my feet, but you can't shackle my praise. I, I may, this may not be my plan, but it does not negate God's plan in my life. Sometimes we think, well, I'm just waiting for this utopian circumstance to happen in my life, and that's how God wants to work. But I don't know about you, but I've just found that God never really works that way. He usually works best in my weakness. God works best in your weakness. And that's his words, not mine. This, this, is, this is how he works. Essentially, he's saying my circumstances don't determine my calling. I'm called of God. And this is, the, this, this is what I'm about. And I see God moving in spite of the crisis that I find myself in. God's still glorified. Even though I'm in chains, he still has his hand on me. My, listen, good news, my bad news is good news for advancing the good news. This is kind of how he's, he starts this whole part out. It's like, what are you talking about, man? And then he starts to tell us what, what God's up to. Verse 13. I mean, I'm going to read a little giddy for you because I want you to see how excited he is about the situation that he's in. He says, as a result... It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I thought you were in chains because you were in jail. No, I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters that are free and outside of the wall, they, they have become more confident in the Lord and they dare to proclaim the gospel without fear. Isn't this awesome? He's downright excited about this. It's weird. Acts chapter 28 tells us that, that Paul, as he's writing in, in this book, this letter to, to the church in Philippi, he was actually chained to a soldier. That's, that's kind of how this worked. And history tells us that um, the, Praetor the Praetorian Guard and the Roman government, this is how they, they worked on a kind of shifts. So six-hour shifts. So he'd get four guards a day that he was chained to for six hours at a time for a 24-hour period. And so, uh, I mean, he's actually excited about this. Why? Because he viewed 
his chains as an opportunity rather than an obstacle. He viewed his chains as an opportunity rather than an obstacle. It's almost like he's saying, hey guys, listen up, Philippian church, you are not going to believe the opportunity that I have been given. It is, this is a, listen to this. God has given me a captive audience. That's, that's my dad joke, I'm sorry. They have literally chained a guard to me. Is this not amazing? Like, I, not just one guard. I get four a day for six hours at a time. This blows my mind. I have the distinct opportunity to preach to a captive audience in the Roman government. What? This is an amazing opportunity. These guards are not, I, I'm not chained to these guards. These guards are chained to me. And guess what? They're about to change shifts. <laughs> I'm off the chain. And this is awesome. Like, he's so excited about this. And I started wondering, what if we started looking at our situations as opportunities rather than obstacles? What if we started looking at these circumstances and struggles that we're currently in as opportunities rather than obstacles in our life in the way of what it is that God is wanting to do? Because Paul's philosophy is, is kind of countercultural. He's saying, like, my situation does not define me, so I'm going to use every situation for God's glory. This is his mindset. This is his philosophy. He's like, I may not be in an ideal place, but my hope is not held hostage. It may not be the place that I would choose, and I may be in prison, but you cannot imprison my praise. Yeah, it'd be nice for me to get out of prison, and I wouldn't choose this for myself, but since I'm here, God has something for me to do through me here. Not like when, when, when God moves this way or fixes this person or gets me out of this situation. He, he's like, since I'm here, God must have something to do through me here. I'm not going to wait for the utopian circumstance to happen. God works best in my weakness. That's how he likes to work. I think that many times God shows us his power when we are put in situations when we feel weak. He shows us how much he is in control when we're put in situations where we're not. And it, and it kind of flies in the face of how we think and how we like to do life. God works best in our weakness. And then he continues in verse 15. There's some weird stuff going on. He says, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. I find it interesting that Paul says in, in verse 16, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. It's, a, it's an odd statement to me. Like, why are you, why are you in, in prison? Well, I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Don't misunderstand this. God did not put him in prison. Don't blame God for the prison that you find yourself in. God didn't give you cancer, and he didn't take your loved one away. Paul was put in prison by people. We live in a fallen world where the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Things happen. He was put in prison by people, but God can use any news, good news or bad news, to proclaim his good news. 
I think that that if we can get anything out of this today, that whether things are going well or they're not going the way that you had planned, I want you to know whether it's good news or bad news, God can use it to advance his good news. Christian, let me remind you, you are salt and you are light. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Listen, being the salt of the earth does not exempt you from hard times. Did you know that? I kind of wish that that's what it meant. Like, you're salt of the earth. That means that everything's going to be awesome, and you're going to get raises, and money's going to be flowing. Like, it's it's going to be awesome. You are the salt of the earth, which means if your situation is less than desirable, you make it better just by being there. You are the salt. You're the salt of the earth. And then Jesus tells us that you're the light of the world. So that means that you don't have to be preoccupied with the darkness all around you. So that means that you don't have to watch CNN or Fox News and be like, my goodness, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. The darkness is pervasive. It's everywhere. I just need to hide. Why? Because I'm afraid that the darkness is going to make my light dark. Can I just remind you that darkness doesn't make light dark. Light makes darkness flee. Amen? And so when we get this in our mindset that we just need to cloister, we need to pull back, we need to, we need to not be a part of this darkness that is around us, Jesus is actually telling us, no, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so when the church shrinks back in fear, thinking that the darkness might rub off on my lightness, he's saying, no, 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 you're the light. The question should be, where's the light? Not how, wow, it's so dark. Where's the light of the world? You are salt, and you are light. And we can tell from this portion of Paul's letter that while he was in prison, um, there was drama happening. Go figure, churches and drama. Um, There was a lot of stuff happening. Um, It looks, from what we can gather without extrapolating too much, that some people were stepping into the vacuum of Paul's leadership when he was put in prison. So some people were like, oh my goodness, like Paul's in in, in prison. We need to carry on that which he began. So people were preaching and carrying on the work of the ministry in order to support Paul because he was in chains. And then there were others that saw it as an opportunity. This is awesome. Paul's in prison. We can steal some of his followers. So we need to discredit him so that we can wean off of some of those people so they'll be followers of us. And isn't it interesting how not much has changed even today. It amazes me how many Christian leaders spend so much of their time trying to discredit other Christian leaders in order to gain and build an empire and a kingdom unto themselves rather than being concerned and focused on one thing, building the kingdom of God. We think that we're in competition with other people or other churches or other pastors or other leaders. We're in competition with no one. And I love Paul's response to this. You can read it in verse 18 for yourself. He says this, what does it matter? Can I tell you, when you're in chains, when you're in prison, you get kind of a different perspective on life. You know, people are like, you're not going to believe what they said about you, Paul. They said that you're no good, dirty scoundrel. And they said that this, what does it matter, guys? What does it matter? He's like, I really don't care. And for me, I'm kind of like, well, you kind of should care a little bit. Like, you're in chains. People are trying to steal your followers and discredit you. I think you should probably care a little bit, Paul. But he's so laser focused. He doesn't care. He's like, what does it matter? Why? Because he gave his life to build God's kingdom, not his own. 
that was what it was at the forefront of him. And then he tells us what does matter. He's like, what does it matter? But I'll tell you what does, guys. What's the most important thing? Let me tell you, when the Apostle Paul, a man who wrote half of the New Testament and is in jail for the cause of Christ, tells you this is the most important thing, you should probably write it down. This is probably an important thing. You should probably think, I, I, I should sit up at this point. This is what he says. He's about to tell you what his hope is chained to. What, what, what drives him, what, what goes above and beyond his circumstances or the chains that may or may not be on him, what the persecution that may or may not be happening to him, this is what he chains his hope to, his life to. Verse 18, he says, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. This is what drives him. The, the, the most important thing is that in every way, Christ is preached. And I, and I have this question like, what do, you, what do you mean by every way? <laughs> in every way. I think he means that whether it's my way or not my way, whether it's my plan or not my plan, whether I'm in chains or not in chains, I will magnify Jesus. This is what drives him. He says, this is the most important thing. And when we get sidetracked on anything else, that's exactly what it is, sidetrack. I will magnify Jesus. He chained his joy to God's purposes, not his preferences, not what he'd like things to look like or his life to be like. See, Paul knew that he may have been in chains, but really, he was free. You get that? You're like, well, you weren't really, Paul. Like, I mean, you're, you're chained to a guard. You don't know what's going to, you could get executed. He's like, no, 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 you guys don't understand this. Like, I'm free. I'm in a win-win situation here. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I, I, I win either way. I am no hostage. I am no prisoner. I am not a victim. I am a lethal weapon for God. I don't look at myself as less than. I'm just, in his mind, he's like, I have the most amazing opportunity to preach the gospel to the Roman government, one guard chained to me at a time. This is the most amazing opportunity. I'm so, I'm so thankful for this. Your third point is this, that his haters couldn't silence him or shut him down. They gave him a pulpit. His haters couldn't shut him down. They gave him a pulpit. What they thought was going to silence him just gave him more opportunity. What, what most people would think, man, you, you know, it's over, obviously. Like, God's taken his hand off of you. You're in prison. This doesn't seem to be working out, and I don't see you getting out anytime soon. He's like, no, 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 that doesn't silence me. It just gives me a different opportunity for what it is that God is wanting to do. So since while I'm here, what are you wanting to do through me? And let me remind you, this is not the first time that the Apostle Paul was in prison. He was actually in prison a few times. We read about one of the times, and you've probably heard this story in Acts chapter 16. Verse 25, it says this, About midnight, Paul and Silas, in chains, in prison, were praying and singing hymns to God. Uh, I, it's, it's an odd place to be singing. It says, and the other prisoners were listening to him. And suddenly, there was a violent earthquake. 
that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all of the prisoners' doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. I want you to notice something about that. The power was in his praise. The power was in their praise. Not because they knew that God was going to free them. They had, look it, you could never even imagine that that was going to happen. They weren't praising God thinking, well, maybe if we sing loud enough, God will hear us and break open all this and provide an earth, earthquake and, and all these chains will fall off. No, they, they were just so focused on their Savior. They were so focused on their hope. Their hope wasn't in maybe my sentence will be lessened. Their hope was in God. And as they praised him, that's where their power came from. And it's the reality, I think, for any of us in a situation where we wouldn't choose, and maybe you're in a place right now where you're like, man, I've just been praying that God would take me out of this place or this phase or this, this, this relationship right now. But the reality is, is you can either let your praise loosen your chains or you can let your chains bind your praise. But one thing's going to happen. You shut it, you shut it. Either you let your praise loose your chains or let your chains bind your praise. And so I look at these two guys. I mean, Paul and Silas, they're singing in prison. But I want you to see this. They were singing an unchained melody. An unchained melody. Not the righteous brothers. They, they were singing an unchained melody. What do I mean by that? I mean that it didn't matter what was going on in their circumstances. They were singing like they were unchained. They were in the midst of a prison. They were chained to a wall, and yet they're singing an unchained praise to God. They weren't hostages. They weren't victims. They were a weapon for, for, for God. And essentially, their chains didn't define what was on their lips. My question for you today is, what's on your lips are you singing unchained melody and unchained praise to God? Because this is what happens in this story. All of a sudden, nobody expected it. The chains of all the prisoners came off. Did you know that God can use your unchained praise in your situation that you wouldn't necessarily choose to set somebody else free? Did you know that? That as you choose to, you know what, I understand that this is not, this is not an ideal place that I want to be in, but I'm choosing to, to, to just praise God in the midst of it. It brought freedom and set somebody else free. You know, there's a, I always like to, to sit over near Opal um, when, during, during worship. I don't know if, if, if you are over in that section when, when Opal's here. I don't think she's here today. Um, I, I love it because why? Her praise is contagious. And those of you who sit over near here, you know what I'm talking about. Why is it so contagious? Is it because her life is so much better than yours? Is it because everything goes grand for her and she just wakes up smiling every single day? No, it's because it's an unchained praise. It doesn't matter on, on what's going on in her life. It doesn't matter, I, like literally, if it was a good day, a bad day, a good week or a bad week, or maybe on your way to church, you're like, I am, these kids are killing me, right? You're like, Stop it, you know, and you're just, we're going to praise Jesus today. We're going to praise, you know, it doesn't matter what it is that's going on in your life. When you have an unchained melody to God, it's not about getting you out of the situation. It's about focusing on who it is that is your hope. Singing an unchained melody to Jesus. The Lord was, was speaking to me about this this week, and I was like, yeah, you know, I just love, 
I love like hearing the praise, the unchained praise of Opal. And the Lord said to me, why don't you quit pulling on Opal's praise? I'm like, what are you talking about? Pulling, what do you mean talk, pulling on her praise? Yeah, why don't you quit being dependent on her praise? What do you, she kind of gives me a kickstart. Like, what do you mean? Why don't you start an unchained melody to pull other people towards Jesus? Well, but she's really good at it. That's like her gift, right? I mean, how often do we, do, do we rely on people around us with an unchained melody to, to, to pull us? And we're pulling. We're weaning off of that. We're pulling off that. Where's Opal today? Oh, it just it wasn't the same without her, right? What if you sing an unchained praise, whether Opal's there or not? Whether you had a good day or a bad day, whether, whether you got good news or bad news, because it's all good news, because even your bad news is good news for the advancement of the good news. So quit pulling on other people's praise and start getting an unchained praise to pull other people up. And some of you won't like this, and I know it's going to offend some of you. Just save your emails. Um, if you have a hard time praising God at church, you're going to have a really difficult time praising him in prison. I'm trying. Just, I'm going to throw that out there. Well, but I just, I don't know, I like to sit near Opal, and she does it for me. I'm just telling you, if you have a hard time praising God in the good situations, when everyone's around you who loves Jesus, it's a very difficult time praising him in prison with the chains. What if, when you're stuck in a circumstance that you wouldn't choose for yourself, what if the way through it was to take a position of praise? As we look at the life of Paul, what if praise, this is weird, what if praise wasn't about giving God all the thanks for all the good things that he's doing in my life at the current moment? What if praise was telling the devil, you have no hold on me. <laughs> Get off me. What you, you got no hold. My feet may be chained, but you cannot chain my praise. Get off me. What if you made the devil mad and wished that he never even chained you in the first place? That's what Paul did. Think about these poor, poor Praetorian Guard uh, like officers. They're like, all right, who's next for the six-hour shift? They're like, not I, not I, not I, not I. Oh, man, i got to do it again? All right, I'm going to get saved this next trip, you know? Like, come on. you got to believe that the devil was like, man, I didn't think this one through. This was not my best decision. He literally saved the entire Roman army, one chained guard at a time. Why? Because they're not, he's not chained to them, they're chained to him. He took, his, he took every single situation, every single thing as an opportunity rather than an obstacle. And he continues in verse 20, he says this, I eagerly expect, who says this when they're in prison? I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. I don't know how this thing is going to go. I just want you to know, whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want you to notice what he is not saying here. 
He's not saying that like, hey guys, look, I'm going through a really horrible situation, a really, really tough time right now, but I found that if I look at it from a different perspective, then it's all good. Like, I, I, I realize that this is, a, this is not an ideal place, but I just kind of would just look at it, just look at it in a different place. I, I kind of just looked at it, and, and, and now, it's, now it's fine. Everything's good if you just look at it in the right perspective. I want you to understand this. This is not what Paul is encouraging you to do. The reality is, is that Paul is in prison and he's in chains and it was not ideal. And the reality is there are sometimes, there are seasons, there are circumstances in your life that are just a pile of crap. And no matter how you look at it or, or how much chocolate sauce you pour on it, it's still a pile of crap. And I think that sometimes we, as, even as Christian leaders, we're like, well, if you could just look at it differently, then it's all better. Look at you. Do you see that? It's still there. It's a pile of crap. And you're like, all right, Martha, that's three craps. I'm out of here. What kind of preacher says crap three, four, five, six times now? We're gone. Here's the point. See, Paul is not advocating an optimistic perspective on a crappy situation. That's seven. Sometimes we think, well, if you just look at it differently, then, 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 then it's all going to be good, and, and you're just not seeing it through the right lens. But Paul's saying, as long as you're looking at your circumstance and thinking that if you just look at it the right way, if you try to find the silver lining, that's weird, if you try to find the silver lining on it, then it will be better. He's like, you're still focusing on the wrong thing. You're still focusing on the problem. Thinking like, oh, this is where it's gonna, I'm going to find my hope. But Paul wasn't focusing on his chains. He was looking beyond them. He was focusing past them. And sometimes we think that attaining joy in our life means looking at our circumstances in a different way. But Paul found joy by keeping his focus on Jesus regardless of the circumstances that he was in. So you look at this guy. Like, he was unmoved by his problem. Why? Because he wasn't focused on it. He wasn't trying to find joy and hope and mercy and all. He wasn't trying to find the, the silver lining or the good in all of it. Paul was, was not trying to find it there. He already found it in Jesus, which is why he could say things like, for to me, like to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm in a win-win situation, people. In other words, he wasn't minimizing his circumstances. He was magnifying Jesus. So I'm not asking you to minimize your circumstance. The reality is, some of you are in some really difficult circumstances. I'm not saying, I'll oh, just look at it differently, just kind of minimize that. I'm saying you need to magnify Jesus above those. If you want what Paul had. His hope was not in hope, his hope was in Jesus. So he wasn't held hostage to what was right in front of his face. He was future focused. I want to read this and ending with you. Uh, starting in verse 18, I want you to see something that I noticed this week. Paul says the word will nine times in nine verses. And I want you to just catch it in context. This is what he says. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And then he says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I 
will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. So that now as always, you catching this? Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. I don't know how this is going to go. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in, in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. He says that nine times in nine verses. What is he doing here? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's predicting his future. He's predicting his future. Now, he doesn't know how things are going to turn out. Like, I mean, he doesn't know he could be executed. He could be released today. He, this, could, this, this, this could last for months. This could last for years. We, we don't know what this is going to look like, but he's predicting his future. Let me show you what he's saying about his future. He's saying, I will continue to rejoice. I will be delivered. I will in no way be ashamed. I will have sufficient courage. Christ will be exalted in me, whether I live or I die. I will continue. Jesus Christ will abound on account of me. He's predicting his future. I don't necessarily know how this thing is all going to play out. I don't know what the future holds. But I do know who holds the future. That is what drove him. That is why he can say, what does all that matter? I'll tell you what the most important thing is that in every way, Christ has preached. Why don't you stand with me? If I give the praise team, come on up. Um, <laughs> we're going to sing one more song as we end our, our service today. A lot of times we, we end with a song, and, and I know for, for, you know, if you've been coming here for a while, you kind of get into this routine where it's like, yeah, this is just the end song, kind of transition us out and that kind of thing. I wonder if, given the scripture that we've been talking about today, I wonder if that could get on the inside of us today, that the power is in our praise. So if you're in the midst of something today, a situation, a circumstance, a struggle that you wouldn't choose to be in, I want to say this. Maybe today is a day where you predict your future. But I don't necessarily know how it's going to come out. Yes, you do. When your focus is not on the situation changing or people getting fixed or things being done, but your focus is on him, you can predict your future. You can predict your future. Maybe today is a day that you sing an unchained melody, but you don't understand, Pastor Justin, like I'm still in the midst of this, this situation. I, I don't want to, I'm still in here. God hasn't freed me from this. I understand that, but you can still sing an unchained melody. And maybe, just maybe, God frees. God breaks chains. Maybe he's breaking chains around you. Maybe for you today, it's the realization that it's not about you. Because for Paul and Silas, their unchained melody actually broke the chains and brought freedom to other prisoners around them. Maybe for some of you today, it's just, you know what? I'm going to sing and praise Jesus even in the midst of my situation. Like one prisoner who found the key to get out. Hey, I know how to get out of here. 
Lord, I thank you that you've brought freedom. You made a way where there is no way. So as we sing here today, just between you and Jesus today, I wonder if maybe there's something, there's a situation, a thing that you're in the midst of, and you've been trying to like pray it away or pray yourself out of it or that God would just fix it. If you're in a situation like that and God's just kind of like knocking on your door today, I just, between you and him, just raise your hand. It's just between you and him. God's speaking to you about something. This is just between, don't, don't, you don't have to be shy. I'm not asking you to even do anything. I'm just saying, God, I'm hearing your voice today. I, I, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it what, it, what what it is that you're trying to speak to me. Now, here's the thing that I want to encourage you to do as we, as we sing today. I want to encourage you to sing an unchained praise, an unchained melody to God. Even in the midst of the situation that you find yourself in, remove your hope in hope and put it on Jesus. For those of you who didn't raise your hand today, obviously you're doing great. So what I'd love for you to do is to just I'd love for you to intercede for the person next to you, to intercede for that person that you saw raise their hand. Why? Because maybe it's in your unchained praise that they've been brought freedom. I believe that today, look, I believe today is a divine setup for you. If you walked in here today and you're like, I don't even know why I'm here. Nobody even invited me or I thought this was Home Depot and I'm sorely confused. I don't understand what's going on. I just want you to know it's a divine setup for you. I believe today addictions will fall. I believe today healing will come. I believe today marriages will be restored. And I believe today if God has freed you from something, as you start to praise God in the midst of your storm, I believe that other prisoners' shackles will fall off because of your unchanged melody. And so as we sing today, I wish that you could just sing yourself happy. I wish that, you know, we're just going to lift up the name of Jesus and worship him like he's worth it. Even though I'm in a place that I don't necessarily want to be in. So Jesus, we lift your name high. We lift your name up above our circumstance. We lift your name up above the, the thing that, that seems to be right in front of our face. We choose to, to lift your name up above our name. And God, we choose to, to trust you to sing an unchained praise, an unchained melody to our King because you're worth it. God, we thank you in the midst of it. And Lord, we expect that as you show up, that addictions will fall, that freedom will come, that victory will be seen and fruit will, will, will be realized in our life. And we expect it in Jesus' name. We expect you to be all that you are, the miracle worker that you are. In Jesus' name we pray.